Internet Brand Strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and we're going to be visiting today with author, educator and just amazing woman Lois Letchford. You're going to want to look her up online, loisletchford.com that's spelled L-O-I-S-L-E-T-C-H-F-O-R-D She has written a book called Reversed a Memoir and that's going to be out in March of 2018 by Acorn Publishing and her 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 bent is about educating teachers and parents on how to help uh, struggling readers. And she herself has raised uh, a, a child to become very successful, but struggled and wrote about it in this memoir, reversed the memoir. And we need to think about when we write our own memoir, what do we choose? What's our story? What's our hook? If we're going to write our memoir, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is the the mechanics, the choices, and the cathartic aspect of writing a memoir. When you look back at your life, Lois, how did you decide that this was going to be your memoir? This was going to be your hat to hang on, you know, because it's hard to have three memoirs on the same person. Yes. What happened was, I always knew Nicholas's story was brilliant. You know, if a diagnostician calls your kid the worst kid ever and he learns to read, that's the story. But then when he learns to read on grade level, that's the story gets better. And when he got his two undergraduate honours degrees, well, the story's even better. But when he went to Oxford, it blew me away. What happened in my life was I follow my husband because he's an academic and he's the one who earns the money and can do things more easily. I came to upstate New York and I could not teach up here. What am I going to do? And I said to a friend, I'd really like to write my son's story up because it's inspirational. And the first problem I had was that I am not a writer. So... I well, did my what does that really mean? Sorry? What does that really mean, you're not a writer? It means, like you, when you go through school and you're not good at it, you're not taught well, you don't practice, and you don't have the skills. And when I wrote earlier on, I could not re write something and reread it accurately. I would write or I would read what I thought was on the paper, not what was on the paper. And I had to put everything through read, please, for it to make sense. So what is your expectation of what a writer looks like? Because that sounds pretty normal to me. <laughs> you and I are in the same boat. A writer is someone who does um, creative writing at Western a writer is someone who's grown up writing stories all their lives. That's a writer to me, and they've found reading very easy. So they've got the skills in reading and writing, and they've connected it all the way through. So 
that's what I think of as a writer. So I was not in that writing boat, and I had to learn to write. Well, can I invite uh, a different point of view just to, to pop in for somebody that went, you know, I went to journalism school, I'm a published author, I've, I've written for hundreds of magazines, and yet I don't consider myself a writer. Okay. I'd like to introduce the concept, a writer is someone who has something to say and takes the time to write it down. Because I think a lot of times people have the perception that someone's a storyteller makes them a writer. You know, children who sit down and write these stories and they write poems and they write all this creative stuff. That's just one small part of, of, of writing. And, you know, when they're good readers and good writers naturally, it doesn't necessarily make them writers. The writer is the person who actually sits down and makes a concerted effort to create something. Because I work with authors all the time, Lois, that don't consider themselves writers. I don't consider myself a writer and I've written books. But when you sit down and you take the time, whether it comes to you naturally or not, a writer is someone who has something to say and is willing to take the time to write it down no matter what it looks like. You are absolutely right. I totally agree with you. Because I feel a lot of people that have really good things to say, Lois, they don't give themselves the chance because the perception of being a writer is this person that has unlimited stories that burst forth like a fountain and they sit down and they put pen to paper and it just lyrically flows out. <laughs> I totally agree. So, you know, years of working with Simon and & Schuster and, and Atria Books and, and Random House authors and interviewing, you know, I've been on the radio for nine years, interviewing authors week in and week out. And that's why I like to have this conversation because you didn't, you wrote a book, so ergo, you're a writer, but the writing process for you wasn't at all what you had envisioned and if there are people listening today who think they're not writers go ahead and think you're not a writer but sit down and write if you have something to say that's what editors are for that's what you know um copywriters and ghostwriters are for um joel fotinos who was the head of tarcher perigee publishing was on one of my shows um recently within the last couple years and we were talking about something, and he said to me this great line. He said, you know, Sam, you can't fix what isn't written down. Yes. And most of us give up. Yes. Because we can't figure it out all in our head. We can't figure it out. We can't just sit down with that magic Harry Potter pen and write a story. That's right. Well, my story was interesting, and... What I did when I came up here and decided I wanted to write, I finished my master's degree, so that got me in touch with people. I started going to writers, uh, writing groups and writing classes in the local Troy Arts Council. And that was okay. That was certainly an input. And while I was there, I met this young editor. She's the same age as my children. And she said to me, Lois, if you ever want any to write anything and need any help, I'll do it for you. She has been with me for two years. And it's because of her and her guidance and her input and her editing 
and her corrections that's made my book something that I'm really proud of. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up because so many people, you know, they think of Snoopy sitting on top of the doghouse, you know, writing his his book all by himself. And there's such a large team that goes into the creation of any book. You know, there's people who design the cover. There's people who write the body copy. There's editors and and um, content editors and continuity editors and, you know, editing just for punctuation, grammar, and, and syntax. You know, all of these things go into, um, you know, producing a really good book. And the least of all of it is the writing of it, because writing can always be fixed, but the story, the story is yours and is yours to tell. And when you are choosing what parts of your life to put into your book, how did you make that decision? How did you decide what to put in and what to leave out? Uh, I had quite vivid memories of not being successful in school at times and I wanted to just pick a few of those up so I was then able to tie them in with Nicholas's story so really and I was when I was teaching Nicholas I was also looking at myself as a reader and a writer and it's those that I picked up that I remembered and they tied into Nicholas's story so that's why I wrote them there's not a lot, but there's enough to say, ah, she had a problem, but she also got out of it. Mm-hmm. Or worked around it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Because that's the thing about life is everybody has challenges, everybody has problems, but the ones who are successful believe that if they can, you know, like I use this analogy, Lois, a lot of times with my kids, like this is just another rock in the way. You know, you're walking down the path and there's a rock in the way. What are you going to do with the rock? You can go to the left, you can go to the right, you can hop over it, you can dig under it, or you can blow it up. And it's, you know, just by doing the writing and finding this lady just changed the whole writing process. And I think if you stick at it and you do a bit more, you find then that you can do things and someone will come and help you. And that's what I've been delighted with. Well, and all of it stems back to my original point is you have something to say. Ah. Because if you didn't have something to say that you were emotionally vested in, that was part of you, that was really important for you to say, you wouldn't have stuck with the writing. I totally agree with you. I haven't. My book is important. It will question a lot of things in education or cause people to question, or I hope it does, and just see children a little bit differently. So that's the aim. You're right. I have a lot to say. You have a lot to say. Yes. And that's that to me makes you a great writer because all of those other stuff are just mechanics. It's like, you know, you take your car and you get it detailed, you get it cleaned, you get it painted, you get new tires. All those things are mechanics. And but it doesn't impede you from driving the car. If you don't have a story, you don't have a, 
a car, you don't have something to tell. And I think that's where most people who want to write a book really struggle because you have to have the story. At the end of the day, the story is what carries you forward. Your something to say is what gave you the impetus to overcome. We're visiting today with Lois Letchford, her book on learning disabilities reversed a memoir about her and her son's experience is available with Acorn Publishing in March of 2018. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about Lois and what her writing days were like. What did they look like? I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. Lois herself did not identify her as a writer and look at what she has. She's got a book. We'll be back after the break and we will talk more about the nuts and bolts of the writer's lifestyle. Your success awaits after these messages. It's words you never heard. Did you realize that Twitter is over 10 years old? Twitter was first launched in March of 2006, with the hashtag feature appearing about a year and a half later. Twitter employs more than 2,700 people around the world. Today, there are over 241 million active users on Twitter, with an average of 500 million tweets per day. Now that's a lot of traffic. A lot of new words have been coined from the Twitter app. A tweetheart is your Twitter boyfriend or girlfriend, and Twitterphoria is the feeling you get when they tweet you back. If you don't want to feel like a twittiot when you tweet, there's a whole list of proper twetiquette available. At first, even I was a bit of a Twitterphobe, but if you want to follow me at Too Funny Carolyn, that would be twittastic. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. Coach Talk Radio returns. Here's Sandra. Hey, guys and dolls. We're visiting today with Lois Letchford, and she has written a book, uh, Reversed, a memoir. You guys can check that out coming up March 2018, Acorn Publishing. We're talking today about the writing process, and I want to know, Lois, what did 
the writing process look like for you? You know, I've had many authors on the show, and some like to sit down and write with an outline. Some like to freeform. Some have a strict writing schedule. I write from 8 to noon every day without fail, Monday through Friday. Others just write when the spirit moves them and write until the energy runs out. Then they take a break and come back to it. What did writing look like to you? I would write in the morning. I would walk my husband to work, and that's where my thinking would happen. And then I would write in the morning, and then the, after that I would get tired, and I would edit, and then I would read. And what I noticed most was my reading changed. I was reading with a different eye. What makes this book work? Why does it work? How can I use this in my writing? And then I'd go back and then the next day you repeat it. The biggest thing for me was having to an idea about what I'm ever writing about and letting that idea bubble and almost fester and grow before I was able to put the words on paper in a way that made me happy. And that all takes what I consider think time. It's like baking bread. <clears throat> right, or making coffee. Like, you know, you put all the ingredients in and you wait and it percolates. It starts to bubble, smells really good, but it's not quite in the cup. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about that because that is a very leisurely concept. You know, we don't stop today to think about things. You know, social media things pop up. We, we react, boom, react, react, react. And... What you're talking about is actually having a relationship with your material and allowing yourself to have time to respond to what comes next. Yes, yes. The first time I wrote the book, I had six months on my own of just writing. I told everything. This is what happened. And I had an incident in my life where I was in grade, what I considered to be grade one. And we moved schools uh, and then we went to this new school, as new school, and the teacher asked us what grade I was in, and I didn't know. And I thought I was in second grade. And a couple of days later, she said, "Lois, since when have you been in second grade?" And that's how I wrote it, and it was quite dull. As my writing changed and I became more proficient, I thought about turning this into a story. And the teacher's words, "Lois." Since when have you been in second grade? You know, all these S's came out as a hiss. Ah. And, and then it went on. And she said, it's simply stupid, stupid. So the story just evolves because you've got this incident and how you tell it becomes very important. Well, and it becomes, don't you think that it, it takes on a life of its own? Yes, it does. Yes. And it, when you're, I'm excited to read it and to read it to other people and I get a wonderful response from them, I know I've written something that's good value. If they're in tears or they're thinking about it, I've written something that's worthwhile writing and reading. Well, and that's the funny thing. Like, you can't make that decision until you've given it 
enough chance to really grow. And that's the one thing that I find with a lot of fledgling writers or first-time writers. They don't allow their, their, their book baby to grow up. Ah. Yes. You know, they're so so in, in interested in finishing and having something to sell and having something to show that they haven't allowed it to mature. And when, when writers have worked with me, and I'm working with, you know, five or six first-time writers now, they're like on a horse trying to ride as fast as they can. Yeah. And they don't realize that certain things in writing can't be hurried. Now, to be fair, Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky in a weekend. So I'm not saying that there's any one right way to do all these. But I find when you're writing something especially that has heavy emotion, when something has personal ties to you and you've lived it experienced it um or been profoundly affected by it there needs to be that percolation time there needs to be that whether it's a gestation or cooking time whatever it is rushing it you're going to miss the good stuff i totally agree with you totally totally agree and as you read what you read impacts what you write too and I think it gives you further ideas. How can I write this particular incident or scene? And you know, that became important to me as well. And so discussing what, it with other people. How will this work? My husband was a very good sounding board for that. Well, and how did you, what did you choose to read? What, were you reading other memoirs? Were you reading books about overcoming? Like, what were you reading? Dickens. <laughs> Charles Dickens, Great Expectations. Oh, my gosh. Did you read Bleak House? I, I, God, no. did I hate Bleak House. That was so hard for me to read. No, I, I did Dickens, and I get halfway through it and think, mm, yeah, okay. But the way he produced tension in his story, you know, Pip is there. Pip has been asked by Magwitch, the convict, to bring a file to him in the in the cemetery and the way Dickens builds the tension through the animals looking at him I thought wow this is brilliant just amazing and it was and it wasn't any particular book it was just reading what and looking at it what do I like about what these this person has written and why do I like it is it the words is it the the word order or is it the image they have created and how did they do that? So I was looking much more deeply at all of the writing that I was, all of the reading that I was doing. See, and I think that that is so valuable because, you know, success leaves clues. And it's, it's not shocking why some people get published and some people don't. And, you know, some of it's just dumb luck. But a lot of it is modeling. It's modeling after people who have walked that, that path before us. And there's nothing I like better to inspire me than to go back and read some of my favorite books. You know, there are just some authors who have a way with words or a way with dialogue or a way with plot development. All those things combine. So you're reading, but you're not really reading. You're reading the story, but you're, you're actually appreciating a work of art. Yes, 
definitely. And I think of Anne of Green Gables. You know, what would L.M. Montgomery did with Anna Green Gables and why that worked and her language and, and all of what she did is just what you've said. Well, and part of that, and that's, again, part of slowing down. Yes. You know, if you spent four hours a day writing and three hours a day reading, you've got a full work day in, but they're kind of like a, a complement to each other. And if you're not a strong reader, become a strong listener. This was one of the things that, that Lois, I had trouble with. You know, I'm in technology most of the day, so I'm, I'm staring at a screen. You know, I'm looking at programming and looking at design, looking at things. My eyes are tired at the end of the day. But I still wanted to learn. I still wanted to read. So I found that, like, using my Kindle and using books on tape and getting stuff from Audible and putting them on my phone so I could just close and rest my eyes, I started hearing the words in my head. I was never an audiobook person at all. And only recently, as I've gotten older and I got two kids and my 84 year old dad, and I'm t really tired at the end of the day, but yet, I still crave that, like, cerebral entertainment. Yes. So I put my headphones on, I hop in the tub, and I listen to a book on digital, you know, a book on tape. And what happened to me with that, Lois, and this was kind of weird because for somebody who's been writing for a living on and off, I started hearing the dialogue in my head in a different way. You do books on CD. Because we lived in Lubbock, Texas, and we would drive 17 hours to L.A. one way, we did exactly the same thing. And it's one of the reasons I could write today, because we listened and we listened and we listened. And it also took Nicholas from the bottom to the top, because he's hearing all this language. So books on CD are just fantastic. They are fantastic. And reading your own writing aloud, this is another thing that, you know, my students and my, you know, the, 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 the authors that I coach and the authors that I coach, Lois, many of them have written five, six, seven books for publication. You know, they're not all first time fledgling writers and really good writers continue to work with writing coaches long after their publication contracts are signed and the check's been, you know, deposited in the back and the book hits the shelves because it is a craft like anything else. You do get better at it the more you put into it. And I usually ask when we're in the final edit stage, I ask the author to sit in a room by themselves and read the book out loud as if they were reading it to an audience. Ah, excellent. I love that. Because when you read your work aloud, you start to come across the awkward parts. Yes. Yes. And they don't make sense in your own mind. And it's funny because they'll come back to me and go, oh, Stan, I need another two weeks on the edits. I read my whole book aloud in my kitchen every morning after the kids went to school. And, oh, my gosh, I found all these errors. I found all these awkward sentences. I found all these typos. I found all these things. The simple prospect of reading your own work aloud is again another technique. It's just a little trick, you know, that can make all the difference in your in your final published work. We're visiting today with Lois Letchford. We can find her at loisletchford.com. Her book, Reversed a Memoir, is coming out in March of 2018. You're going to want to get a copy. 
When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about persistence, about determination. Every writer, author, whatever you want to call yourself, creative, gets to a point where they hit a wall. Do you stop? Do you give up? Do you start writing a new book? What do you do when those things happen? We're going to talk more with author Lois Letchford when we come back after the break. Your success awaits after these messages. It's words you never heard. Have you ever butt dialed someone accidentally? According to a report, for every 100 calls made to 911 this year, about 40 were dialed unintentionally. Recently, a mother in Canada called police after receiving a nightmarish cell phone call from her daughter, filled with blood-chilling screams and a man shouting murderous threats. Police discovered that the girl was at a movie theater in Victoria. Anticipating the worst, the cops were preparing to descend on the cinema when a dispatcher tried calling the girl's cell phone one last time. The girl answered her phone and explained she was not being attacked by a murderer, but was watching the horror film Cabin in the Woods. What do you call the activity of being impolite in a social situation by looking at your phone instead of paying attention to the person you are with? Fubbing. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. This is the Tokinet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelov Live. The show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Coach Talk Radio returns. Here's Sandra. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Lois Lutchford, and we're talking about the process of writing a book and what what kind of hiccups, what kind of challenges that we have along the way. And one of the things that every writer, every author, every creative hits at some point is a wall where they either run into it and stop and run in the other direction or they find the willpower or the determination or the persistence or the drive to go beyond that wall and keep going. And the wall can hit for a number of reasons. The wall can hit because you fatigue yourself out from writing so furiously for for many weeks, months at a time without balance. You can hit that wall because you um, get bored with what you're writing 
that happens so much, Lois. I can't tell you how many people get bored in the middle of their own work. Um, you can burn yourself out from being such a great perfectionist and polishing chapters one, two, and three that you're fed up with the whole thing by chapter four. Or you can have a crisis of faith. And I've seen even the best, prolific, high-paid, amazing writers have a crisis of faith in their own work. And they have to dig deep to find the resiliency, the persistence, the determination to keep moving forward. What did you experience in the process of writing your book? Well, the writing of it was, you know, fairly okay. You know, I had my, I had my editor, and that was huge because she and I met every week through the writing of the book and polishing it and polishing it before we looked at where are we going to go from here. And my son is on the other side of the world doing his PhD. And so we've got this working together to happen. But then you come to where am I going to publish it? And that becomes really quite a challenge. And I tried to go the traditional route and I thought I would go to a writer's conference. So I went to a writer's conference in Philadelphia. I paid $30 per person to see um, literary agents. Well, most of the literary agents were under 30. None had had a problem with reading. Very few had children, and they had no interest in my story. So that was the end of that. I thought, I'm not going to do that. One person asked to see it, so I sent it off to her and didn't know if it got on her desk. Others said I had to build a social profile and write more articles before they would even look at my book. And that's a very long process. And I am—I turned 62 yesterday. And after I came back from that conference and waited a few weeks, I thought, there are alternatives today. And I went online and looked at hybrid publish, publishing, which is how I came across Acorn Press. And they said, submit your work here. I submitted my work. And with 20, in, within 24 hours the owner had got back to me and said, I love your story. And she edited the first four or five pages and her edits made me jump. I then went and put my work online into some website and said, who would like to edit my work and give me a, a chance, show me what you do. Not one of those dozen or half a dozen editors came back anything like the first edits and that said to me this person's right and it turns out that that lady had a child who was special had special needs wow and it made a difference to everything so she is the one i went with and you know it's a hybrid publishing company and they're building up their side and they're helping us through the process and now it's just persistence in getting the book out and um, and printing it and going through this and trying to meet our deadlines, which is now middle of March. So it is persistence, sticking at it. I think having a support of of my editor has just been invaluable. I don't think I could have done it without her. Well, and I think you know that whether it's an editor or a writing coach, yes. you know, I think that is. That is that makes all the difference because there's accountability each week. You know, there's a there's a whether you meet weekly or monthly or biweekly, there's that accountability yeah. that 
you need to you need to contribute to the overall result and you can't let weeks and weeks go by without doing your homework. Yes. She was my coach. She was my every she is my everything. She helps me through all these processes and helps me do things and she's very good on a computer whereas I'm slow with it and that has just been an invaluable support and I am just delighted that we've had the money to fund her otherwise my book wouldn't have got off the ground. Well, and that's where, you know, if you don't have money to fund yourself in in a program, you know, a lot of these programs are very, very good, especially for first-time authors. Um, Getting aligned with writing groups or there's different writing programs at local colleges and universities and community colleges and, you know, there's online writing programs that, you know, can suit a wide variety of budgets. Um, But having somebody to help you write, especially your first book, um, is, I think, absolutely invaluable. Yes, Yes, well, I, my book certainly would not have happened without it because the quality wouldn't have been there. So No, and there's a lot to know, especially today in self-publishing. I mean, there's a lot of choices to be made. And, you know, did you, you said you attended a conference or a contest. What did you? A conference, a writer's conference in Philadelphia that was to meet uh, literary agents. And what did you take away from that experience? Don't do it again. <coughs> Fair enough. Don't waste your time. And, you you know, you can write queries. You can spend hours writing query letters and they sit on someone's desk and no one reads them. Why am I going to put hours into that sort of thing? I mean, it's it seems to be a very difficult industry. So... And there are alternatives today. There are many alternatives. And as you said... Even if you're with a big company, you're the author is still responsible for the marketing of their book. Right. Well, and one of the things that I teach in my my programs over here um, is is that you need to develop a following. You need to have a social media presence and you need to have a point of view that supports your work. And, you know, what's so great about all this with just a little bit of education, you know, you you put on, you know, Facebook Live, you put up articles that you've written, you record yourself, you know, Diane Mills, who's a very, very prolific romance writer, and she's she's one of my favorite ladies. And, you know, she not only creates wonderful books, but she's got to be, I, I don't know how old she is, she's probably 75, I hope I'm not insulting her, um, maybe 77 or something like that, and she's she's learned how to do Facebook Live, she did her first Facebook Live the other day, I watched her, and she's all dolled up, and, you know, talking about her writing, and, you know, hundreds of people tuned in to listen to her. Right, yes. And she just needed her iPhone. And it's very easy to do things, isn't it, and connect across the world today. It is. And, you know, so to know who your audience is and to connect with like-minded people and people who want to hear what you have to say and, you know, have that interactivity, um, you know, where we talk back and forth, you know, you now can talk to authors. Yes. Yes, you can. 
you know, and a lot of them, you know, I know Diane Mills, you know, um, and, and a lot of the other Angela Breidenbach, she's another one. She has a show called lit up, you know, they're more than happy to answer questions, to talk to you. And, you know, it's amazing with social media how you don't have to follow that whole traditional route of writing. That Now, you can do that. You can write the query letters. You can, you know, submit to these big publishing houses and, and, and do that. But that's not your only outlet anymore. That's exactly right. It's not your only outlet. And they are very fussy about what they want. And when they start saying, I want to know about being a nanny for a celebrity, you think, well, what's the value of that? And as I met another self-published author and she said, I walked into a bookshop and they had the selfies of the Kardashians and I thought, is this what they are publishing? I can't compete with that. Well, and you don't want to. Like, that's the beauty of it. You know, there's all sorts of points of view today. There's all sorts of opportunity. And many, many authors, many of them, friends of mine who have traditional publishing contracts, also self-publish. You know, there's work. Like, just because you publish a novel with a, a, a publishing house doesn't mean they want to publish your next six. Or they might want to publish book four and book six, and then two, three, four, and five, you know, they're not interested in because they don't think they can sell it because publishers at the end of the day are booksellers. And if they can't sell your book, it doesn't mean it's not a good book. Yes. It just means they don't believe they can sell it. Every publishing house has a personality. They have a point of view. They have a political slant. So somebody who publishes Sandra Beck may or may not publish Lois Letchford, but that doesn't mean Lois's book isn't good, and it doesn't mean Sandra's book is any better. I think people have a very warped view of publishing houses, and just because their book is turned down, that doesn't mean their work is not good. It can be turned down because they have too many like books in their stable. They can be turned down because they don't have a book buyer that specializes in that genre. Um, They could have a certain religious or political slant that prohibits them from accepting that manuscript or wanting to work in those arenas. All of those are well within the rights of the publishing company, but it doesn't mean one one thing about the quality of your work. Well, I've written my book, and yes, I do want to sell it. I do want to make some money to pay back my debt. But at the end of the day, I want it to be there to nudge education, to bring out questions in education. What is the value of testing six-year-old children? How much more do we have to know about learning to read? And I'll hand it over to you, Sandra. There we go. All right. I'm going to take us to commercial break. We're talking about traditional publishing and self-publishing, and there's all sorts of different hybrids in between. And, you know, work them all. Try them all. You may get a big publisher interested in you. You may not. Don't take it personally. Just keep going. Persistence and determination are the name of the game. We'll be back after the break with more from Lois Letchford and Sandra Beck. We'll be back after these messages. After these messages, it's words you never heard. Got a lead foot? 
According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymis and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Courteous to the officer, and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. According to the American Heart Association, cardiovascular disease claims more women's lives than the next six causes of death combined. Nearly 500,000 women's lives a year which is nearly twice as many as all forms of cancer. Cardiovascular disease is mostly preventable, so understanding serious health threats can make a life-saving difference. Exercise and losing weight are the cornerstones of living heart healthy. This is true for women and men. By exercising and keeping your heart rate up for at least 20 minutes, five days a week, you are making a positive step forward in keeping your heart healthy. Exercise also helps you lose weight, which is essential when it comes to your heart's health. Remember, if you have too much body fat, especially in your waist area, you're at a higher risk for health problems, whether you're male or female. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Coach Talk Radio returns. Here's Sandra. My computer's working. Hey, guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lois Letchford, and we're talking about the process of writing your first book and some of the things you may or may not run into. And one of the things that I find when I coach authors is they can be passionate about the concept of their book, but they have to be passionate about the story. You know, I keep going back to the story, the story, the story, because a book is just a collection of words without a story. And having a passion is what helps you overcome the traditional stumbling blocks that most authors face at some point in their writing career. Yes. You're absolutely right. And my passion is not only for selling my book, but for selling the story, for getting out. We can take that six-year-old child and we can make them into a functioning adult. But I also think my story is the cost of not doing that. But that gets away from the passion. And that's really what drives my passion. If we don't teach children to read, what's their path? It's much more difficult to become a functioning member of our society. And my well, passion is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there is a cost to you. If you didn't tell your story, yeah. I have people who have never taken the time and the effort it takes to write their story, and they that book becomes very heavy, or the unwritten book <laughs> becomes very heavy when you carry it year after year. You are absolutely right. And you do have to sit down and write it and write it. 
and I think it helps enormously for you and for them. Well, don't you think that it helps you examine, you know, part of part of writing is examining and, and looking at the details and kind of, you know, you, you don't write about an apple until you pick it up, bite into it, turn it around, flip it over, maybe fry it in a pan, all in your own mind. Yes. And so that attention to detail and that kind of omniscient bird's eye view that you have of a story is is so exciting and it can be overwhelming at times but it becomes even more powerful when you're examining your own story because it requires you to step into yourself to write certain parts of it but then other parts of a memoir you have to step out of yourself and actually examine your own experience from a different perspective, maybe from a different character's point of view, maybe from the bird's eye view or, you know, in a, in a self-help based book, from a learning standpoint. And all of those kind of examinations in your own life can only result in something powerful and transformative. That goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, giving the story time to, to rise and to, to percolate and to bring it out, to allow you to write, doesn't it? It does. And do you find, you know, in some of the writing that I've done, I used to write some things for on divorce and on, on divorce recovery and on, you know, parental alienation and, you know, the best way to handle a parent who uh, who alienates your children from you, like, you know, what, what you can do. And, and in that, I found my own peace. I found my own solutions. I found my own comfort. And when you look at things from a different perspective, it actually changes your relationship to the material, but it changes your relationship to your own experiences. My experience is of putting me on fire. And that's what my book does to me. And I have to be very careful because sometimes I've got to say things slowly because I can sound angry because I'm passionate about absolutely we must teach these children to read. We must do more. And teachers look at me and their eyes droop and roll over and all the rest of it. And that's what it's done for me. I am so passionate that we must teach children to read. And I have to slow down and stop to say, take a breath, give them a chance to catch up. They aren't where you are. Well, and when you put yourself in the position of the teachers in the book or the other people, you have to step in their shoes. And it does give you a greater understanding. You know, you've got a teacher who might have, like in Los Angeles here, we might have 36 students in the classroom. And she's responsible for pushing these 36 students forward. Is that even really possible to give? How do you give 36 individual attentions? That's if that's early literacy, that's back to my father's day, isn't it, of education almost. He had 50 in his class or 40 in his class, and we're not going forwards, we're going backwards, and I don't know how to deal with that one. No, but, you know, when they, they made that whole thing many years ago of, you know, no child left behind, no child left behind, I can walk into any school in Southern California, and I'm, I bet this is anywhere, you know, almost anywhere around the world, Um 
there's a lot left behind because our, our, our teaching system, especially for literacy and for reading and comprehension, and, you know, we communicate this way, um, there is no possible way one teacher can possibly move 36 little minds forward. You are absolutely right. There's no question about that. And you there's know. another component that I won't even go into about how we've taught them. And then we, in, in the classroom, you've got half or three-quarters of the children doing okay, and we can deal with them, but the last ten, well, they're too hard to deal with, and they are much slower. Nicholas could not keep up in the regular classroom when he was in grade one because he was taking in information at a much slower rate, and that's what really pushed him behind. And I don't have the answers for that. And then your reading specialists have got to be very good. And so most of the time they're average. They're not very good. Well, and that's why we have these conversations. You know, we're not here to criticize. We're here to just raise awareness and, and, and talk about the reality of what is and not buy into the reality that just because your child is not performing at expected whatever doesn't mean they can't in the future. And it, but it is an indication that what we're doing probably isn't working. Yes. Yes, that's right. And, you know, I now have a lot of strategies that I can use and that I can help parents with. So if the parent has the time, and it's not even a lot of time-consuming stuff, if a parent has a child who struggles and you've got these sight words, to you take one sight word at a time and use it in your oral language as you eat dinner, as you do the cooking, as you drive the car, the child will get the idea, ah, my mother's using that word. Ah, that was a word we had today. Ah, I can now read that word. It, you know, that's what I'm passionate about, helping parents help children and not just putting it back in the school. Because once we help them at home and support the school, we've got a greater chance of our child making more success within the classroom. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, and more success in, in life. I mean... Yes. You know, that's the difference between an active parent and a passive parent. You know, I see in my kids' different grade levels, the same 25 parents volunteer. The same 25 parents are showing up and, and assisting their kids or even assisting other kids. And, you know, I get that not every parent can afford to be as involved as some parents. And there are parents, both parents have to work. Some work two jobs. So, you know, we recognize that. But when you're driving your kids somewhere and you're having a conversation about words or concepts, that's not, that's not about economics. That's not about overwork. That's about getting off your phone and talking to your kid or having your kid put your phone down and taking those couple minutes. Nobody's asking people to drop everything, homeschool, and stay home from work. I mean, that's not, not reasonable for most people today. But there are things you can do to make a difference. But it's knowing that that little thing, like saying those words over and over again in oral language, I mean, it's a little thing that can have a huge impact and they're not even aware that they can do that. And that's where the power comes. That's what we can help them change with as parents. Right, and the belief, like just changing the belief that, you know, if we change some of the things we're doing for our kids, we can have better results. You know, that, you know, that, 
that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If we sit down with our kids and we make them write words out over and over and over and they still get them wrong, guess what? Writing them over and over and over isn't working. I worked with clay. I do a lot of rhyming words because the rhyming words helps them see a pattern. I find the pattern in everything. If you can find a pattern, it's the foundation of a lot of learning. You're not learning one thing. You're learning a dozen things. And you can take that on and on again. And again, it can be done in the car. What are the words that rhyme with ash? You know, what can you come up with? And then, you know, for spelling words, I colour code everything. But teachers, you know, if they can give us rhyming words, that helps enormously too. But I am passionate about helping parents help their children so that they don't fall so far behind. That's right. That's right. And the color coding, the clay. And let's not discount music and rhythm. Yes. My one son who had trouble with a lot of these spelling words, if we did a rhythm with it, a clapping of the hands, and he could. And I still remember like A-C-C, E-P-T, A-N-C-E, and you know, you try everything. Yes, yes. And work in pictures. Use a lot more pictures. And pictures are much more accessible today than they were 10 or 20 years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. When you look at, like, you know, the Berlitz, I have Berlitz Spanish and Berlitz English for both of my kids. And they show the picture and the word, and then you listen. Picture, read, word. listen. You know, we're hit, we're activating three three parts of our brain. I guess the whole summation of all this is write your book. Don't give up when faced with any sort of challenge or disability. The belief you can is so much more important than any test, any result, any, anything. And don't lose hope. Don't lose that belief. Overturn every stone you can. Try everything, no matter how silly it is. I'm clapping in the kitchen to sing and spell words. Guess what? It worked. You don't know what's going to work until you try it. And if it doesn't work, you try something else. Our guest today has been Lois Letchford. You can find her book, uh, Lois Letchford. Com. That's L-E-T-C-H-F-O-R-D. On behalf of Coach Talk Radio, Lois Letchford, I'm your host, Sandra Beck. Take a shot at your book. You don't have to be a writer to write a book. You just have to have something to say. We'll be back again next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.